Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm David. All right, now we have a lot to get to today, so we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, and we're going to try to be quick. Uh, David, we're starting with a story from you. Yeah, so a county in Florida is, despite their insistence to the contrary, uh, doing a minority report. Uh, they have instituted a predictive policing program and started harassing people who are predicted to be pre-criminals. Uh, this has included doing, basically showing up at a guy's house and, um, and demanding to speak with his son, uh, on the grounds that they're doing, like, a scared straight type of thing. And then leaving the house with a baggie purportedly full of mar- or purportedly carrying trace amounts of marijuana, and then they started harassing this person's son. And when he resisted, they st- started harassing him, uh, doing things like citing him for having grass that's too long, which a lot of places have laws against having grass that's too long, but no one cares. Uh, but they've started, like, selectively enforcing it against this guy and some other pre-criminals. Um, and then not telling them when the dates of their hearings are and arresting them when they miss their hearings. Um, yeah, it's real fucking bad, and I'm very angry about it. Can I- uh, that also seems rather unconstitutional. Huh. Uh, yes, that is the general idea, and being the stone-cold badasses that they are, uh, the Institute for Justice has taken the relevant actors' asses to court for it. They have, I want to say something like five constitutional claims, um, and uh, pretty much all of them are fairly solid. Uh, so yeah, this is probably not going to last for very long. Uh, but it's outrageous that it's happened at all. Okay. Did you hear, did you hear about this on a podcast that's better than ours? <laughs> I did. I heard it on the Institute for Justice's Deep Dive podcast. All right. So you've right. mentioned that name twice now. Once calling them stone cold badasses, but I have no idea who these people are. Who are they? What he talks about them? it like every week. He's not wrong. Uh, I, I don't so remember Institute... things more than five days ago. Come on. <laughs> Uh, so the Institute for Justice is a uh, libertarian public interest law firm, uh, and they do a lot of really good work around police reform, um, um, civil asset forfeiture, uh, school choice, um, what's that other thing? Uh, eminent domain abuse. Um, yeah, they're super cool. I will look into these people then. Uh, my second thing is that this is actually absolutely nothing like Minority Report, because in Minority Report, they actually saw the literal future and prevented murderers and real crimes. Ah, uh, but sometimes they were fake. Spoilers. Uh, no. I mean, there was one time where it was fake. And double spoilers, while the movie was actually pretty good, it could have been so much better if Hollywood wasn't a bunch of pansy-ass wankers and had kept the original ending from the, uh, from the short story. 
Hey, listeners, I knew that this was exactly the discussion we were going to be have, having so, when I added this to the outline. Screw you, David. In the short story, the guy who's... who's... What? Screw me because you're predictable as the sunrise? Yes! Oh, yes. my God. That is David predicted what would happen. It's a minority report. <laughs> in the short story, Tom Cruise's character, who was framed for the murder... Uh, in the end, goes ahead and commits the murder because he realizes that if he didn't, it would ruin the system, which uh, has stopped uncountable deaths and crimes uh, in the 10 years that it's been going. And quite honestly, having one person framed in an incredibly unlikely circumstance that could only probably happen once per lifetime is a price that he's willing to pay, even if the person that's framed is himself, which is a fucking badass ending. Yeah, also, God knows that uh, we never get false people blamed for crimes they didn't commit in our current justice system. Our current justice system does not run on a system of precog seeing the literal future. Yeah, um, yeah, so, uh, Inya does raise a good point, uh, though this does no, not involve precog seeing the literal future. <laughs> it involves a comically bad, completely arbitrary hodgepodge of things like grade in, grades in school, uh, that are just basically poured into this quote-unquote algorithm, which then spits out a binary, yeah, probably a criminal, or nah, probably not. Uh, and in addition to this dubious, uh, data-based, uh, stuff they're looking at, there's also some good old-fashioned human discretion, which if when you, when I said human discretion, you heard racism, you're probably right. Yes, I agree this is very bad because it is nothing like the cool idealized system that science fiction would have given us. Yes, uh, also, um... You know it's nothing like the cool idealized system because the uh, police department in question actually literally put out a press release saying that they were not trying to implement the ideals or um, the ideals or something else uh, portrayed in Blade in Minority Report. <laughs> Almost said Blade Runner, which Jesus. is a different thing. <laughs> Even worse. Hmm. All right, well, way to go, Pasco County, Florida, uh, for just being predictably terrible. Yep. All right. Uh, so real quick, um, Inyash, you asked for a link. You can basically just Google Pasco County, Florida Minority Report, and you'll get about two dozen articles. Look, if I wanted to Google something, I wouldn't be clicking through to the show notes. But since I am clicking through to the show Uh, notes... Yeah, I know. I I guess I should be addressing that to Wes, since he's the one who does the show notes. Uh, But I will also put a link link for the podcast, yes. Cool, thank you. All right. Uh, Next story is we had another run of mass shootings. So, uh... I guess that means the pandemic's officially over. Yeah, right? It was like it wasn't happening for a while, but uh, I guess we're getting back to normal now. So lots of people getting shot. And uh, the first one was at a a few Asian massage parlors. I think... Originally, I thought it was just one, but I think it was a few of them. And um, this story bothered me so much. Yeah. Because... Within minutes, the 
sort of mainstream media outlets had all jumped on this and declared that this was um, racism against Asians um, that motivated this killer and that this is part of a growing trend in anti-Asian violence and that this is all about white supremacy and basically just like fitting it into your standard leftist woke narrative. And meanwhile, the the guy was caught. He issued a confession. Um, and it was all about that these were like women who were tempting him into sex. Uh, and he was some kind of religious nut who uh, just thought, thought he was a sex addict. Yeah. And that like they were that tempting him. Fucking uh, Punchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. That's the kill Esmeralda for being attracted to her. I never saw a Hunchback of Notre Dame or Reddit. Seriously? But, yeah. Perhaps I should say Notre Dame. I don't know. I just exposed uh. myself as an illiterate boob. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to expose myself boob. a lot on my podcasts. Well, well, Roxy's getting Roxy's gonna get to that age soon where uh, you need to decide between the good Disney movies and the shit Disney movies. Right? So uh, uh, it's gonna be rough. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, speaking- you'll see it soon. Speaking of boobs and exposing yourself, um, the uh, sex worker community is pretty pissed off about this. Yeah. Because this was clearly an attack on sex workers. Yes. Like, the thing that this guy hated was sex workers. Um, and he just, you know, these were the places he went to hire sex workers. Yeah. Uh, now, there's points to be made about how historic racism is probably why Asian women get pushed into these careers or why, you know, Asian massage parlors are just kind of a code for sex workers. Um, there's certainly stuff to talk about there, but this guy clearly was just uh, wanted to kill sex workers. And nobody, save for like a small handful of people, is actually talking about the danger that sex workers are in and the amount of hate that they receive and the amount of violence that gets done against them. And um, so the sex workers are pretty pissed off about this because this could be a moment to like let people know that sex workers are actually very uh, marginalized and in danger and that, you know, laws like FOSTA and SESTA didn't help with that. Did you guys? Oh yeah, certainly. Did you guys ever watch Archer, the cartoon? Yeah. Yes. So I was um, in a relationship with someone who did sex work sometimes when we watched that together. And in the very first fucking episode, they kill a sex worker and put her in a trunk. And Archer has this whole bit about like you can't call them call girls when they're dead in your trunk. They're just dead hookers then. And it's supposed to be hilarious, but you know how fucking uncomfortable that is sitting next to someone you care about who does that work when they're going on that riff and it just i mean we still watched archer because it's a great series but god it's so ingrained in the culture that that sex workers don't matter and are disposable and yeah yeah there was absolutely no one fighting that at all with this latest shooting yeah so that's completely valid and i was not on i was not with a sex worker when i watched that episode uh but in, in you are missing a little bit of context there, because earlier, um, what's his name? Cyr- Cyril? Yeah. Cyril. Yeah, Cyril calls her a hooker, and he says she's not a hooker, It's a, she's a call girl that's very disrespectful. Yeah. And so that's like setting up uh, the whole joke later after she dies. Um, so yeah, that... Uh, it was a decent rehearsal, it's, but... Yeah. Yeah. Also, that Still. is the episode with the 
and in fact the same part of the episode with the joke about the Chekhov gun, which is the funniest thing I've ever watched. So well, it's also the episode with the Do you want ants? Because that's how you got ants, which has just become huge. Yes. All right. All right. This is two for two news stories that have now devolved into discussions of pop culture references. Okay. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Back on track. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was all, that was, that was all the point I wanted to make about that was that like, I would really, uh, like it better if we could talk about the violence that gets done against sex workers instead of trying to fit everything into a pre-written narrative. Yeah. And and like, there is definitely some of that, but also just like, it's really gross how the, like, so the sex workers I can understand because they are like actually genuinely marginalized and at risk because of their jobs but like it's also kind of gross how like basically no one has spared even a moment to think about the people who are murdered as people aside from just like their identities and how they can be used for political point scoring and I don't like that because yeah. people are more than just their identities, and yeah, the smallest like, how do- identity group is the individual, and blah blah blah. Yeah, and like, how does the families of the two non-Asians who were killed in this attack feel? Because it was, you know, there were eight victims. Six of them were Asians. I think the other two were white. Yeah. And I feel like those two victims have gotten completely erased. Well, they wouldn't um, be erased if people were actually willing to focus on the sex worker part, which is why they right? were targeted. Right. Um. And. It's, yeah, it's gross. And there was some other, uh, you know, crazy, crazy woke narrative stuff going on with the other shooting, which was at a Boulder supermarket. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would hope you heard about this when being out in Denver. Yeah, so the guy was uh, brought in alive rather than shot down by the cops, and that proves that he's white. Yeah, even though he's Syrian. With a very, very, um, is it Arabic? A Muslim? That that kind of Middle Eastern name. Semitic. Uh, I think it's Arabic. D- no, it's not Semitic. Yes, it is. Does, doesn't Semitic mean Jewish? Uh, no, it means anything Middle Eastern, of which Jewish is a part. Wait, seriously? Um, I feel like you are being really pedantic. Everyone interprets Semitic as Jewish. Uh, so I just googled Semitic, and it says, Relating to or denoting a family of languages that includes Hebrew, Arabic, and Aramaic, of certain ancient languages such as Phoenician and Akkadian, and constituting the main subgroup of the Afro-Asiatic family. Alright, uh, an amazing login if you're listening. Remember to yell at David later for being a prescriptivist. Yes. Because everyone uses it to mean Jewish. I don't. I I don't though. Everyone in the U.S. except David. everyone but David. <laughs> and like that—that that is specifically the like phenotype that you're referring to here. So because you know Jewish people also look like that. So no, I mean it would be great if we had a word that meant Middle Eastern people, but we don't because it, Semitic has the been term taken is over Middle to be Eastern. Jewish. Uh, yeah. So anyway. The uh, b- before it came out, who exactly this guy was? There were like tons of people jumping on this, talking about how oh, it's it's always a white guy, uh, and you know this is white supremacy again. And you know it turns out that the guy, the shooter, wasn't actually white, or you know uh, was a, a member of uh, Schrodinger's race, 
where he's uh, white if he did something bad, but uh, non-white if something bad happened to him. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I just reiterating David's point about how everything seems to be used for politics now kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, more mass shootings. Pretty shitty. Uh, moving on to better news. Um, there was a boat stuck in the Suez Canal, but no longer. Yay! Yay! Um, and so I'm confused about the name of this boat. Because it looks like on the side is written in giant letters, Evergreen. But people keep calling it Evergiven. So this is like a translation thing. Apparently the name of the company is Evergreen, and they have a lot of boats that start with the name Ever, and this one was Evergiven. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so as the Ever Given just got itself wedged in the Suez Canal, uh, which I didn't know could happen, but apparently this boat is like five times the size of the boats that they had going through there 20 years ago, and it's big enough to just span the entire canal. Yeah. Yep. With plenty uh, of room to spare. Yeah. yeah. If, if you've never seen like a picture of a cargo ship in... Like, in perspective, like, with a human visible or something like that. You really should. These things are fucking enormous nowadays. Yeah, I go boating on the Delaware River, and the cargo ships come up it, and it's, like, insane so how, how huge they are. I am going to do the thing Wes doesn't like and bring in a cultural reference again. The ship is 400 meters long. The Enterprise D that was on Star Trek Next Generation is 467 meters long, so... It's almost Enterprise D size in length. Uh, how does that compare to an Imperial Two class Star Destroyer? Don't know. I'm not a Star Wars <laughs> nerd. I'm a Star Trekker. Okay. Um, nobody knows like. how big the Enterprise is. I mean, that is not that is not a reference that people understand. If they watched a lot of Next Generation, they got a kind no, of a feeling. I watched a lot of Next Generation, and I still have like no conception of how big this ship is. Oh come on! It was like a small city. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll get we'll get Johnny and GSV on here to talk about how that compares to uh, <laughs> a, a to the culture ship. ship. Yeah. Sorry, how 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 long did you say it was? Uh, no, we don't care. We don't care how it compares to an Imperial Star Destroyer. <laughs> the ship is four hundred meters. I do. Okay, it's about the third of the length of an Imperial two. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I was looking at the width of the Enterprise D in length. It's six hundred forty-two. So yeah, it's two thirds of the Enterprise D in length. <sighs> Well, wow. I'm glad okay. we got that sorted out. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, at least our next story isn't about murders again. Yeah. Um, Eniash, like, part of me you. feels bad that that happened. Another part of me realizes that our audience knows what they're getting. Yeah. <laughs> this is just, you know, the absurdity of life. Yeah. So this next news story is about Sidney Powell, who is the person that is being um, sued now by the Dominion Voting... What? It's the company that made the voting machines. Yes, or, uh, you may have heard about this on award-winning podcast, The Mind Killer. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, now she's being uh, sued for defamation for saying that, you know, they are unreliable and were... Uh, and helped to steal the election and Trump really won and all that. And, and were funded uh, by Hugo Chavez... <laughs> yes, Hugo Chavez. Did she say that? Who is dead? Yes. But oh my god! <laughs> somehow was behind Dominion voting. Excellent. <laughs> oh well, it's simple, Wes. 
He founded Dominion in order to have a company with Western cachet that would help him steal elections in Venezuela, and then eventually all the tin pot dictators, including Trump, came to realize that Dominion were the people you talk to to get your rigged election machines, and then... They did a bad job, and that's why Trump lost. I'm not mm. sure. Well, if any lost representatives of, there. of Dominion voting machines are listening, um, that was satire. <laughs> yes. <We're>, uh, <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I do think that that is a vague approximation of what her story actually is. Oh, that's but yes, that's it's so obviously sad. bunk. So when she yeah. was brought into a court of law where there's actually some accountability for what she says, uh, her defense is that her words were, her claims were so obviously ludicrous and unbelievable that only a complete idiot would take them seriously. Uh, so yeah, so basically this. saying that, yes, yep. the entire election theft narrative is complete bullshit and only com- outer idiots would believe it. Yeah, yeah and this is, this is distinct from the Alex Jones defense. Because the Alex Jones defense was that he's just playing a character when he goes on his radio show and on TV. And uh, so he's not giving his own opinions, and so he can't be sued for that. Um, that's just entertainment. Uh, Powell's argument is just that she's so full of shit that no one would ever listen to her. It's, it's yeah. a and it's a terrible... Claim. It's a terrible defense because lots of people did listen to this. Yeah. Like, Dominion wouldn't have a case if nobody listened, but they the reason they're in court is because they lost, like, every contract they had. I mean, I'm sad that they're not going to be able to get $1.2 billion out of her, but uh, at least a, a judgment is a start. Uh, well, they're also suing Fox News. Oh, good. They have billions of dollars, that, you know. And yeah. the pillow They guy, might be able right? to get a hold of. They're definitely also suing the pillow guy. <laughs> If they could make Fox but, News go the way of Gawker, that would be great. Uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. They're not, there's no way they get that much out of this. But it might put Fox News on notice that, like, hey, maybe you need to be slightly less full of shit yes. <laughs> in the future. Maybe just pump the brakes on the obvious crankery. Yeah. And I'm I'm not holding out hope. Yeah. Um, I hope they get every single cent, though, because some accountability for just spreading lies to the public would be really good. Yeah, I'm really I, I I just love this story because it's like one of the only times that you can actually there's a, actually a good defamation case. Yeah, right. Um, that seems that seems to be like exactly what defamation law was always meant for. Yeah. You know, speaking should... of uh, defamation law um, and also speaking of podcasts better than ours, you should listen to the <laughs> latest episode of All the President's Lawyers, although as of the posting of this episode, depending on when exactly Wes gets it up, it may or may not be the most recent episode, because they also release on Wednesdays. Um, so the episode from the 24th. I really um, think we should start pivoting to episodes that are almost as good as ours. <laughs> Uh yeah, but they yeah, have everyone a, knows uh, that's what they we have mean. a great bit about this lawsuit. Uh yeah, that's uh they they they've been been covering this one from the start, um, and it's uh, it's good stuff. Uh all right, next story is uh, David. This one was yours. 
Yeah, so uh, I will just read verbatim what I put in our outline because this is basically how I felt about what happened when I was reading about it. Uh, AstraZeneca, possibly aided and or abetted by Oxford, in lieu of proper study reporting procedures, inside, instead decided to shit in their hands and rub it on their faces. Uh, this was a somewhat joking? unorthodox um, drug efficacy reporting method, and the FDA was not amused by it. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing this so literally, David. Yeah, that... I mean, that actually would have been better than what they did. You're not wrong is the funny um, part. What they actually did is reported preliminary data instead of final data after they were told not to do that, and which they had absolutely no chance of getting away with. And also the post-liminary data that they were supposed to report would have been more than sufficient to get approval through. It just was slightly worse, and so they decided to do the thing that they'd been told not to do, and that they obviously wouldn't get away with, for fun, pretty much. It's, I, it is, it is mind-blowing how this decision got made. Uh, you know, this is not even a government organization doing this. This is a private company. Are you saying private companies can be stupid sometimes, too? I didn't think they could be this stupid, honestly. Oh, I, I am actually willing to uh, make a bet. I don't know how exactly we'll resolve this, but I'm willing to bet that uh, Oxford ends up being um, substantially responsible for this because some dumb fuck senior professor with more ego than sense wanted to get credit for having a super good vaccine instead of just a vaccine. And mm. yeah, that is true. Schools are very stupid, and I expect this kind of thing from them. Yeah. So if you want to take the other side of that bet and have a proposal for a good resolution procedure, uh, please let me know. I am definitely interested. Um. So the 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 upshot here is uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine will not be getting approved by the FDA anytime soon. Um. So, you know, go get your uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, we still got a lot of options. Yeah. And uh, we do have some good news about AstraZeneca that we'll be covering later. Yes. Um, but right now, we're moving on to more bad news. Yay! Which is that Georgia has just passed a giant voter suppression law, which is just comically terrible. These fuckers. Um, including it's it's over a hundred pages which uh you know law, laws what is what does that mean um but here's some of the stuff that's in it um you need a driver's license or another state id if you want an absentee ballot you in runoff elections there's only one week of early voting before there was uh you know a few weeks um drop boxes for absentee ballots have to be inside early voting locations um for some reason what so they're Th- yeah, they that, have to put them that inside. Completely the- <laughs> obviates the point of a drop box. Yes, that's that's why they did it. What what about like those things they have in libraries where technically they're uh, inside the building, but they're close enough to the outside that you can just drive past and flip open a thing. 
I oh imagine God, that will be up to local uh, election officials. Fuck, I hate this. Um, so much. Also, also, well, no. So Dropboxes actually do have one other um, good purpose, which is that um, you know, if the if you're within, if you're not, if you don't have time for the mail to get to get in, you can drop your ballot in a Dropbox instead. Uh, Except you can't do that in Georgia anymore because you can't use Dropboxes uh, more than four days or less than four days before an election. Why? Why? Exactly Why? Because they don't want you to vote. I mean, oh. Where by you, you mean black people. Hey, did they I mean, manage, Democrats. Did they manage to get the uh, thing banning souls to the polls through? Um, w- w- Which one was that? Oh, that was uh, the was Sunday one. It was the one, one where right? they said that early voting has to be, early voting locations have to be closed on Sundays. No, they didn't get that oh, through. Oh, fuck. They, but they did say early voting locations have to be open on Saturdays, and they made Sundays optional. Okay. Um, so they, they kind of half did it. Um, but they did. And we haven't, we, uh, these, are, these are terrible. We haven't gotten to the worst part yet. Oh. Okay. Um, in any sense. So the, actually, the actual worst part of this is that it allows the state election board to take over any county election board that it decides is underperforming. This is fine. This is fine, <laughs> yeah, dog. Right? This, they, they're definitely not just going to take over the whatever county Atlanta's in and decide that there's, like, too many Democrat votes coming from here. That that definitely won't happen. Well, do they have some sort of objective criteria for what is you know counts as bad enough to be taken over? Uh, I, yes, I more than fifty percent <laughs> black. Uh, that probably is the criteria. Um, no, I don't think there's any objective criteria. I think it's just like if well, if the state uh, election board says so, says says the county's underperforming, then they can do it. Sounds awful. Um, there's also um, they also put in a provision. That um, said the Secretary of State is no longer the uh, official uh, chair of the election board. And that goes to a, an, a, a person who is appointed by the legislature. Um, and this is just a shot at Brad Raffensperger, um, who I'll be talking about later in my troop deployment. But this is basically a, a way to say that like if they actually have a dedicated civil servant... As the um, Secretary of State, who's going to you know do his job and tell the truth, that 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 won't be a problem anymore because they'll just appoint somebody. Yeah. Uh, and the, the so the worst part um, is probably the th- those two things. But the actual like most comically terrible part and like cartoon villain part is that the this law bans handing out food and drinks to people in line to vote. Oh, Do they yes. have any rationale given for this? I mean, obviously this is a kids in cages, the cruelty is the point type of thing. But do they just say that out loud? No. See, so I, my guess is that they decided that that's electioneering. That like, you know, you don't want a person out there in a Biden shirt handing out pizzas because that's coercive. Ah. What if they just made the law that said you can't wear a Biden shirt? I'm pretty sure they already have such a law. Or at least yeah. they do in South Carolina. I think every state has a law that's like you can't bring like partisan materials within however many feet of the uh, voting location. Oh. Um, well. But this says no. under no circumstances is anyone allowed to bring food or drinks to people in line. 
uh, because they want those people to just give up and go home. Uh, wait, sorry. Under no circumstances can... So, like, if my wife is waiting in line and I bring her a, a bottle of Coke, then that's a crime. Well, that sounds well, like now a you're a, now you're a felon and you can't vote. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's uh, pretty transparent what they're trying to do here. So, is... A- is election law is election law one of those areas where federal courts are unreasonably deferential to state courts, or is this going to get uh, hammered? This is not going to get hammered. Fuck. Um, this did not used to be one of those areas, um, but the current Supreme Court has shown a disturbing trend of you know just wanting to stay out of this kind of thing. So is the theory that rich white voters don't have to eat and drink as much, or what exactly is the deal here? Or their lines are just uh, shorter? Yeah, their lines are... Well, so, so it's sort of generally known that lower turnout is better for Republicans, um, and that the longest lines and the most inconvenient voting uh, places tend to be in the poorer, more urban areas. Uh, I don't... Up to you if you want to decide that's code for anything. Um, and so making it harder to vote generally benefits Republicans. Now, there's some question about how true all of that actually is. Uh, a lot of people have looked at the data and come away with the fact that with the, with the, the conclusion that lower turnout isn't necessarily better for either party. Um, but the both parties seem to believe that low turnout is good for Republicans and high turnout is good for Democrats. So this is this is what they're going for. Um, the driver's license thing has always been part of the fight. Um, a lot of, you know, poor and non-white people don't have driver's licenses or state IDs. Um, and they don't, you know, the Republicans don't want those people to vote. How do you vote without an ID? Uh, a lot of places do a signature match. Like, that's what, I'm in New Jersey, that's what we do. Oh, interesting. Um, you go in, you sign a thing, they compare your signature to the one they have on file, and uh, if it looks the same, say, okay, go ahead. Um, and it's fine because voter voter fraud is super rare. Right. Um, and this is what everyone keeps saying. The Republicans are all like, well, we need these to, you know, secure the election. And the Democrats are always like, but these, you're, there's not a problem here. You're not solving any problem. Yeah. People are not like going in in person to voting places and faking votes. Nobody's fake filling out absentee ballots either. Um, the only thing that that actually they found that happens on any kind of large scale and by large i don't mean like anywhere near the scale it would take to tip an election but like sometimes they find people doing ballot harvesting um where they uh go and like collect absentee ballots from an entire neighborhood and kind of lean on people to, to vote the correct way or maybe lose the ballots that aren't aren't marked the way they would like uh but that's the only thing that that even happens and even that happens pretty rarely so Georgia is uh, being the worst. Are they worse than Florida? Uh, I mean, I I would say no, but man, they're taking a good run at it. Yeah, Florida. I I feel like Florida might have the trophy for uh, preventing the felons from voting without paying off the, all their fines. Yeah. Uh, that that might have been the worst thing, but this is up there. Oh, I was just thinking of the pre-crime thing from earlier. Oh yeah, that too. That's at least that's just one county in Florida. Yeah, fair. This is a state law. All right. Well, all right. 
Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Eniash, you have another fun story for us. Sure, I'll try to make this quick. Uh, but Donald and Melania Trump got the COVID vaccine uh, back in January and didn't say anything about it. Uh, we just found out a few weeks ago, and I guess it was sort of reported on, but not widely touted. And this is something that really everybody should have heard a million times by now because they, I mean, they were the big COVID is not real pushing uh, people. I don't even want to say the Republicans were like that because not all Republicans were, but certainly the Trump contingent was and is. And the fact that they got the vaccine should be just being yelled out from the rooftops. Yeah. Um, they they kind of had to abandon the COVID is not real thing when Trump got COVID. <laughs> um, so they weren't they were instead they were saying like, oh, it's not it's not that big a deal. Um, and I don't think Trump actually was ever anti-vaccine. He actually seemed very pro-vaccine from the start. He was he was out there saying like, oh, we don't need to do any of this, you know, social distancing. We don't need to shut down the economy. We don't need to wear masks because we're going to get these vaccines and then it's going to be all over. Um, so I'm not surprised that he got the vaccine, but yes, it would be nice if that was publicized a little more, uh, because base the, the biggest vaccine hesitant group are white Republicans and specifically, uh, white Trump supporters. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be nice if, you know, if we could kind of really put it out there that like Trump got the vaccine, your, you know, daddy, God, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> got the vaccine. So you should too. Yeah. So that was that. All right. Uh, now, now we're moving into cancel culture news. Yeah. It was a busy two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so first story is Jesse Single. Um, Jesse Single is a journalist. He's on the Blocked and Reported podcast. He writes for Substack. It's a great podcast. I subscribe to it. It's almost as good as ours. <laughs> almost. Um. Uh, he's, uh, oh, you know, yeah, he's... this one is the, uh, raging transphobe, right? He's yes. the one who's in favor of literally hunting and murdering trans women for sport? Well, that's everybody who, you know, thinks that maybe we shouldn't give, uh, gender-confirming surgery to nine-year-olds. Jesse Single apparently keeps getting, um, fake allegations about how he like stalks trans women. Well, I think there was just one person specific who said that, and then it has been repeated a million times as if it was true. Yeah, but they, but they, the allegations aren't just like he did this to one person. The allegations are he does this to like every trans woman. Well, if they named a person, then that could be disproven. Yeah, but so they won't name any people. Um, Brianna Wu is out there saying she has receipts, <laughs> um, and people are now offering her money for them. Yes. And I think last we checked, it was up to $50,000 yep. that have been pledged to see Brianna Wu's receipts that Jesse Single is uh, a serial stalker of trans people. Given, and, given uh, to a charity of her choice, and if we can assume that she would give it to a trans youth charity, that means she is literally murdering trans children by not showing the receipts of how he's stalked. Literally murdering. Yeah. Like, just hunting them for sport for however many 50,000 trans children you can buy. Or $50,000. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and I don't, I don't even remember, like, why this started. Like, why Jesse Single got, got uh, if you'll uh, excuse me, singled out oh my God, as, like, this raging transphobe. Uh, uh, well, I, do, you, do, you got, do you remember, uh, Inyash, do you remember what? What like set this off? It was She's the been... it was the PC wrote about um about D trans people, right? 
Yeah, that was uh, at least a year ago, maybe a couple years now. It's been a while. I don't know why it just became a thing again a few weeks ago, or a few days ago. I don't know exactly. This month. I don't know why it, like, flared up again this month. Uh, maybe it's like herpes. I mean... Woke people are like yeah, herpes. You heard like, it here. It's been like full court press on him, and luckily, he's independent now. Yes. Um, he's Yeah, he's, his podcast is self-published. He's on Substack, so it's like he can't really be canceled. But dear God, if he had a boss, he would have been fired ten times over by now. Hopefully that's changing. Um, Maybe in the future it won't be as bad. Yeah, um, and the, the latest development, I think this just happened today or yesterday, is Glad put him on a list of, like, people who do violence to trans women. Yep. And so I guess apparently it was just put out by a uh, a Glad intern or Glad public relations officer or something. I don't even know. And Glad like immediately said, uh, they, they, "We're not sure about this list. Uh, don't take this as gospel. We're pulling it back." And who knows how they're going to okay. actually adjust it? If they're going to actually adjust it. But I'm just like really disappointed now because ten years ago, like. I was giving money to the ACLU and I loved them to death and they were like an organization I would die for. I really liked the Southern Poverty Law Center for, you know, similar reasons. Glad was right up there on my donations list. And like over the past few years, all of these have just fallen to wokeism and and it's horrible and depressing. Like I can't give money to the ACLU anymore. What the fuck has this world come to? Well, Eniash, I have good news for you. Do you? David, do you want to tell him? Um... So there's an organization called the Institute for Justice. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to It basically say. does everything the ACLU used to do. Well, I will look into them. I also hear that there's an organization called the Mind Killers that takes money. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. You could donate uh, to we them. Are, that would be, that we would be are, nice. in fact, uh, and feel free to fact check me on this because I am not completely up to date. But I'm pretty sure that we are listed as a Give Well Top Recommended Charity. <laughs> are you as sure of this as you are sure that Glad um, thinks that Jesse Single stalks trans women? Uh, approximately, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, either both of those things are true or neither of them. <laughs> That's just how probabilities work. Um, so, yeah, everyone's being shitty to Jesse Single and they should stop. Um, other cancel culture news, uh, and this is kind of related, is that everyone is mad at Substack. And by everyone, I think you just mean woke people. Uh, uh, it's not just, it's really, it's not even woke people. It's woke journalists. I mean, they're all mad at Substack. But it's, yes, it's journalists. Oh, well, that's not everybody. That's the people we don't care about. But it's like everybody who writes for... The, it's, it's the chattering the, classes. And, it's the Twitterati. Yeah. and. Um, and for some reason, last week, there was just this, like, rash of articles about how terrible Substack is and how it's just a, just, the, just the worst for a number of different reasons, um, all of which are stupid. Um, and and, uh, and my favorite take on this was from Freddie DeBoer, which we'll link in the show notes. But he's basically saying, like, look, this is journalists who don't like the competition and are jealous that independent writers can make money being independent without you know having to put in their dues or get the approval of their fellow journalists which also points out the fact that regular journalists are not at all filling a market need for you know the truth or something any sort of news yeah. that doesn't confirm to this orthodoxy that the journalists are pushing so of course they're going to be outcompeted by a a 
organization that actually lets people see the news that they, you know, would like to see. Yeah, and this is related to the stuff with Scott Alexander we talked about a few episodes ago, which is that, you know, Substack, yes, provides a home for people that have gotten canceled out of other media. Substack's the reason Jesse Single can still write. Um, Substack is the reason, yes, Scott Alexander has a blog, and why Freddie DeBoer has a place that he can write and make a living. Um, it's literally a place where you can go and have a newsletter published to anyone who wants to follow you, and they can give you money if they want. Like, it is yeah, the uh, epitome of voluntary transactions. Yeah, and one of the things people are mad about is that Substack did some deals with people where they said, look, we can make you, um, we think you can make tons of money on our platform, and to prove it, we're going to pay you to come to Substack. Yeah. And we're going to take, you know, the, the majority of your subscriptions for your first year. Um, and instead, instead of that, we'll give you a fixed sum. Um, so we're, we'll, we'll take all the risk. We just believe that you have a following that will pay to see your writing. And boy, we're um, and, right. And a lot, yeah, boy, yeah. It seems like everyone, everyone who's reported on the deal they got from Substack um, has Substack being, like, way correct um, and making way more money off of them. <laughs> Then they ended up paying out. Um, but it's... Substack wasn't... It, it, this has gotten cast as Substack somehow uh, making editorial decisions uh, about what kind of content they want. Uh, and I'm pretty sure all Substack wants is money. Yeah. Yep. Um, Obviously. And the, the reaching out to, uh, you know, journalists who have... Or, or other writers who have trouble getting hired at other publications that's just the low-hanging fruit especially journalists that they see are very popular yes uh so like like scott alexander um so uh, it's 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 just all this completely silly uh brouhaha that it's just i i feel like it's just newspapers and magazines who don't like that substack is kind of making them look foolish you know, it's a pretty common thing that if someone is successful, they start getting attacked by just Twitter mobs in general. Yeah. And also, Which brings us... Uh, and also, you know, the people that they're currently putting out of business. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eniash, you were about to transition us into the next cancel culture story. Yeah, Lindsay Ellis. Uh, she is a film reviewer on YouTube. Reviews more than just films, really, but that is her, you know, her forte... Uh, I really enjoyed watching her back in the day. She's really smart, kind of overeducated, and sometimes comes across as smarmy. But, you know, she had some... Is she the one that does, like, the deadpan reviews? I don't know. A lot of people do No, like, like, that's just her tone. She doesn't get really animated. She just kind of, like, just looks at the camp. It kind of talks in almost a monotone. Nope, nope, I don't think that's her. Okay. Right. But uh, by coincidence, in our last, uh, Stephen's my last episode of Worth the Candle, we referenced Lindsay Ellis's uh, video about Megan Fox and Transformers, and I linked it. And then a few days later, she got canceled. And I was like, well, look at that. We have t- powers we did not even know of. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, she... Yeah, this is all your fault. Yeah, but I over the last few years, I've been watching her less and less and really just stopped a, cu- a couple years ago because, like a lot of other people on YouTube, she's just gotten more and more woke as as that thing became a thing. And, you know, I was kind of getting sick of it. But, you know, the the thing about becoming woke is that you uh, get a woke audience, which is... Live by the sword, die by the sword. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know... It's what happened to Reply All! She she became successful and white, which is a problem for woke audiences. And uh, she 
<laughs> she made the statement that the new Disney movie Raya, I think it's Raya, right? Raya and the Last Dragon, I think it's Yeah, called. that it was, uh, in her opinion, very similar to Avatar The Last Airbender, and quite frankly, like, half of YA written nowadays is pretty similar to Avatar The Last Airbender. That was, like, her tweet. Uh, not word for word, but basically that was it. And uh, that became a reason to cancel her. Like, people really started jumping down her throat for that. And she, she replied with what is admittedly poor choice of wording, but she obviously didn't mean anything by it. She said, yeah, if you squint hard, I guess you can take my words out of context to mean something bad. And <laughs> everyone was like, oh my god, you referenced Asian media and you used the word squint. Fuck you, you racist. Oh no! Yeah. What? Yes! No. Uh-huh. Oh my god, cancel oh culture god. is a parody of itself. <laughs> And uh, not long after that, she deleted her Twitter. So it's well, you know it's hard to say she's canceled because she's a self-employed person on YouTube and like she hasn't been struck from YouTube or anything. But as a media presence, Twitter is sort of a thing for them. It's it's at the very least all the woke crowds that were going after her are now having victory laps and cheering about how successful they were at canceling her because she deleted her Twitter. Well, good job, Twitter mouse. Yes. Yeah. For- Frankly, they probably did her a favor because, you know, Twitter is a neurotoxin. It is. Everyone should get off it as soon as they can. All right. Well, since that's almost happy news, let's go into happy news. All right. Let's start with the AstraZeneca thing. Uh, The U.S. has decided to share their four million doses of AstraZeneca with Mexico and Canada, which proves that the president listens to to the mind killer, which is why uh, we are one of the best podcasts. All right. Now, Mr. We, President, let's uh, up that number, because I think we have like 30 million doses, we, uh, and we're only sharing four of we them. We are the Fox and Friends of Biden. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, Joe. <laughs> this is a great start, but lots of other countries need those vaccines, and we're not going to use them. So let's, uh, those other 26 million doses that we have, let's just send those out to some uh, countries that are in need. Yeah, especially after they crapped in their hands and rubbed it on their faces apparently (laughs) yeah but uh this is a good start very good news um and Eniash, you have another story for us yeah this one is kind of mixed uh but it sounds like it could be that the redistribution we've been talking about for a long time is working Uh, i know wes in particular is a fan of the uh letting the market do its thing and then just taxing the top earners and redistributing that wealth uh and it seems that Despite the fact that everyone keeps saying the wealthy are getting wealthier and the poor are getting poorer and the wealth inequality is increasing, uh, it looks to have decreased in the last 50 years, in large part because the measures of that thing don't take into account a lot of the taxation that's done on the rich people and the redistribution that's given to the poor people. Uh, so if you, if you don't count those things, then uh, yes, the top quintile has, has greatly outpaced the bottom quintile. But if you do, it turns out that the uh, top quintile has seen their after-tax income rise by 213% over the last 50 years, whereas the bottom quintile has had their taxes uh, has had their income risen by 300%. So the wealth gap between the top and bottom quintiles has actually reduced in the past 50 years after taking into account taxes and redistribution, which on the one hand, I think is a great thing because it means like this thing can actually work. We can actually make the society where all the robots do all the work and we redistribute it and there isn't huge wealth inequality and that would be fucking awesome. 
but uh, I think Wes has a technically true warning. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we, uh, we, we, this is a Wall Street Journal article that this is based on, and we talked about it on the Discord, which uh, you should all be on, so you can participate in these discussions. Um, but it's, uh, it's sort of gnarly data hacking that they were doing there, because yes, while the income disparity between the top quintile and the bottom quintile has gone down, um, the top quintile isn't really where all the money's going it's really like the top one percent or the top few percent uh, uh, sorry wes i think it's pronounced the one percent oh sorry the one percent <laughs> millionaires and billionaires you do a much better bernie than david does it's ju- it's just <laughs> billionaires now that bernie himself is a millionaire no he hates himself too now um but yeah yeah, that's so. If you look at the top one percent, um, the inequality looks huge. If you include the entire top quintile, it looks much smaller. Uh, so I don't, I don't really think this is evidence that the system is working. Um, but it certainly is better than these sort of misleading numbers that you see sometimes that show it being like really, really horrible that don't include taxes and transfers. Yeah, because that's money that people are paying and receiving. I don't en- so it really ought to count. I don't entirely blame them for using quintiles since that's kind of a standard thing. Um, but I, I believe you're right. If all the gains have gone to the 1%, that should be what they're actually focusing on, despite you know what conventions may have been in the distant past when things weren't as uh, different and you know, pronounced. Yeah, and 1%. actually, and, and David, can you explain to us what Gini coefficients are? Um, because those have also been... Um, showing more inequality yeah so very roughly um if you take a distribution of the wealth or of the so on the horizontal axis you have the um percentile of the population you're looking at in terms of wealth and then on the vertical axis you have the proportion of total wealth of the society held by the percentile in the horizontal axis uh it's essentially the area under that curve um Ah. and it's a pretty rough measure i have some issues with it uh but it's like that that's probably something better suited to a bonus episode because like it's it it, basically inequality (laughs) statistics are hard and you're, if a given statistic uh, uncomplicatedly supports a narrative, then that is the statistic you're most likely to see. Uh, and you can <laughs> basically just pick the measure you want to support the narrative you want to push. And uh, basically, whenever someone cites an inequality statistic at you, there's like a 60% chance that either they are lying or they're repeating a lie that they heard from somewhere else. Uh, and Gini coefficients, you say they measure wealth, not income? Uh, you can do them for both income or wealth. Uh, I think they're usually wealth, but I'm not sure. Okay. Well, so uh, I think that's the bottom line is that some measures have shown inequality going down while some still show it going up. But that's better than I thought it was because uh, I had been hearing for years that inequality is just you know, going up and up and up and nothing, there's, there's no way to look at it that shows it's going down. So I, you know, I think that still, still belongs in the happy news section. 
All right, and Eniash, you have another story for us, since you are apparently our guy in charge of happy news this week. Well, you know, with all the bad news, I felt that there should be happy news, and also it just happened to be a lot of happy news this week, so that was good. Um, yeah, but the Virginia governor, uh, Ralph Northam, I don't know why his name matters, I'm sorry, uh, he is, by an executive action, letting tens of thousands of felons recover their voting rights upon release from prison, because Virginia oh. is one of those laws that has, that's a, has one of those laws where you don't get your rights to vote back. Uh, when you're out of prison. Um, and they also apparently have a special provision which allows the state governor sole discretion to restore civil rights with the exception of firearms rights. Uh, so the governor did exactly that and uh, said that this immediately applies to approximately 69,000 Virginians, according to this estimate, who have completed their sentences and uh, will now let them vote in elections. So that's yeah. awesome. Well, I'm glad you said his name because uh, he should get credit for this. That was a pretty, pretty awesome thing to do. So good for you, uh, Ralph yep. Northam. Uh, so this was a good thing. Uh, I would like to take this time to remind people that Ralph Northam is still an awful piece of shit. And he is not just <laughs> an awful piece of shit because of the blackface thing. He actually has done some genuinely terrible things as well as, you know, dressing up in a problematic costume 35 years ago. Uh, but yeah, this was a good, so congratulations. You're not constantly an awful piece of shit. <laughs> Faint praise from David. I guess that's the, the most you can ask for. Uh, all right. Well, now we're moving on into troop deployments. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we ask each host to send out a soldier onto the battlefield each episode. And we'll start with David. Yeah, so this episode, I just want to uh, signal boost a very good, less wrong post uh, called Politics is Way Too Meta, I think. Um, there will be a link to it in the show notes. And essentially what it's arguing is that uh, way too much political discussion is focused on, like, horse race style stuff. Uh, and the uh, specific example he goes to a lot is basically all of the discussion of Hillary Clinton's emails was just uh, people saying over and over again, Oh, the emails are bad for Hillary and no actual like object level discussion of what it of the implications that would have for operational security in a hypothetical Clinton administration um and uh there are several other examples but just broadly speaking he I assume it's a he who wrote this uh, my apologies if I'm wrong there um but he says um that uh, political discussions should have way, way, way more to do with just very basic object-level questions and much less to do with uh, grand narratives and hype and political momentum and political viability and so on. Uh, and it's very good, and you guys should go read it. All right. All right. Thank you, David. Eniash. Um, I don't have much as a way of a troop deployment. It's just beautiful outside. But I will say I heard a lot the past few weeks. Why don't we just blow up the ship in the Suez? And I would like to remind people that blowing things up just rearranges the matter. It doesn't 
remove it unless you use some kind of antimatter weapon. So, you know, that would just put all the matter that was there at the bottom of the Suez, and then it's even much harder to get rid of than if you could float it away. So blowing things up, despite what Hollywood tells you, is not always the answer to everything, despite how awesome it looks. Now, let's go outside and blow up some things. <laughs> well, that that raises a question, Inyash. Yes. Why not blow it up with an antimatter weapon? Oh, that would... That would make the Suez Canal like a Suez. It would small make the sea. Suez Canal much bigger, which would solve the problem. <laughs> um, Everybody wins. Yeah. Uh, also, I want to know why isn't your troop deployment just? It's a beautiful day outside right now. That seems like a great troop deployment. I don't know. I felt like that would be too much of a cop out, and I had to say something that was topical. Um. I think that that would have been fine. Okay. In that case, I declare it peacetime in Brodskylandia. There will be no troop deployments. Just go outside and enjoy the sun. All right. And my troop deployment is an actual troop deployment, um, which is that uh, Republicans are all going even more crazy. Uh, there's a classic sequence post on the evaporative, evaporative cooling of group beliefs. It explains how in groups that hold extreme views... After the group suffers a failure or is proven wrong, the group becomes even more extreme because the moderates all leave. We're now watching this happen in real time with the Republican Party. It was my hope that after the party suffered a pretty decisive and devastating loss, including losing two Senate seats in Georgia of all places, the party would be forced to moderate and give up on their craziest beliefs. Instead, it seems like the opposite is happening. The latest example is Brad Raffensperger the Georgia Secretary of State who refused to, quote, find extra votes for Trump. By all accounts, until last year, Raffensperger was an ordinary Republican doing ordinary Republican things like suppressing votes and trying to own the libs. But in November, he had the audacity to actually do his job and not perpetuate the evidence-free lie that Donald Trump won Georgia. For that sin, he's being cast out of the party. Trump has already endorsed his primary opponent, and his own local party has turned its back on him, refusing to name him as a delegate in the upcoming party convention. As we covered earlier, the new voter suppression law removes him as the chair of the state election board. There seems to be little chance of him being reelected. Now, I don't really care what happens to Brad Raffensperger, but this sets an example for any other Republican who might consider doing their job rather than supporting the party, no matter how doomed the cause. This is a clear signal that post-Trump, the party is now willing, not willing to do any soul-searching or reforming, and is instead just getting crazier and crazier. And it's a real tragedy because that leaves the Democrats as the only sane, viable national party, which is not a good state of affairs. And we've covered numerous ways in, this, in which the Democrats continue to be terrible, and it would be nice to have a real alternative. But it sounds as though that won't be Go happening anytime in the near future, and that's bad for all of us. Does David, or do I want to jump in with the libertarian plug here? <laughs> I said viable national oh, party. Oh, damn it. Okay. Yeah. I put that word in there just got for you. Got me on a technicality. Um, also, uh, I think David's told us a little bit about the National Libertarian Party, and they don't really sound all that much better. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Uh, please follow us wherever you uh, get your podcasts. Subscribe. Uh, click all the buttons. Um, leave some reviews about how great we are or about how terrible we are. Whatever you think. Um, or about how great some of our hosts are and uh, how terrible other ones are. You know, mix it up. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks. Same rat time, same rat channel. Bye. Bye.